Hello and a warm welcome back to the Relationship Matters podcast. We believe relationship matters from humanity to nature to the larger whole. I'm your host, Katie Churchman, and in this episode, I'm talking with Frank Uitavard, CRL Global Faculty Member and co-author of Systems Inspired Leadership about the benefits of a systems-inspired approach to organizational change. Across this conversation, we discuss the importance of preparing for change, ways of working more skillfully with emergent change, edge crossing and helping organizations to look for minimal viable edges, the difference between change management and change leadership, and the importance of slowing down. Frank Uitavard is an organizational psychologist, an executive team and systems coach with extensive experience in leadership development, business innovation, and cultural transformation. He builds on more than 25 years of international experience in human resources with Royal Dutch Shell, where he held assignments in Europe, Africa, and Asia. He believes that it's critical for organizations to create a work environment where people feel safe to bring their whole person and where they are supported and encouraged to step into their magnificence. These so-called human-centered organizations create superior results and are key for building a better, more conscious and sustainable world. So I bring you Frank Uitavard talking about systems-inspired organizational change. Frank, welcome back to the Relationship Matters podcast. I am delighted to have you back on the show. Thank you, Katie. So nice to see you as well. Lovely. And we have a big topic today, systems-inspired organisational change. Given that organisational change feels a bit like a HR buzzword right now, I want to start by asking you, what are the benefits of a systems-inspired approach to organisational change? Yeah, and there are a lot of things already there. So first of all, we talk about organisations. Yeah, you see a lot of focus we have in Orskis around the uh, relationships, it's about teams, but here around, we talk about organizations. There is the first thing is, if people could look at organizations already as systems, that would be a big, big benefit. We are so trained in seeing problems as we analyze them and their parts are not good. Can we also see that all things are being interconnected and that the relationship between the entities, between the parts are more important maybe than the entity itself. So that's the systems approach. There's so much systems blindness, Katie. It's amazing. We're not trained in it. And systems inspire that whole notion of the third entity comes in. Can we see really an organization or an ecosystem as a living system? Living system means it has a heart, it beats, it has intelligence, it has needs. And if you start approaching an organization like that, everything will change. I love that term you just used, systems blindness. I've not heard that. I wonder, do you feel a lot of the changes that are going on right now in some of the bigger organizations in the world are systems blind? Really. And it's also very natural. You know, our famous, uh, in Ors, we have this famous and also in systems inspired leadership, the famous systems rule. Yeah. So everyone is right partially. And that is such a groundbreaking approach because normally we, we experience the way we perceive things as the absolute truth. And, and therefore, to understand that maybe based on experience of others, the, the world is different. 
you can have a different experience that there may be truth and wisdom in it is really difficult for people. And, and that, I think, explains a lot around systems blindness. Mm, okay. So I, I thank you, firstly, for normalising that this doesn't come naturally to us humans. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> and I guess then I wonder, does this require quite a lot of preparation up front? Because if it's not something we do on autopilot, I'm presuming that unless we plan for it, we're just going to go into our old way of doing things. Yeah, so for me, the whole notion of being aware is really important, Katie. Uh, so creating awareness around it. And also, yeah, like you say, it may not be maybe already more difficult the way we are as human beings, but also remember our educational system. And so we, we focus on problems and problems are being solved by analyzing them. You look at the parts and then you change the parts and that's the solution. Yeah, that's how we are trained. And there's also one solution to every problem. And you can also approach it differently. And uh, I think in a way, nature is a big, big uh, example uh, of, of for me. The way nature works with change, it's much more organic. It starts small, it starts uh, in, in, in the front line or very local. And remember, nature has already been able to produce life, so to say, for 3.8 billion years, yeah? It's much longer than 100 plus years of management theory. That's such a good point. And so if I am someone who is leading a thousand plus people through a big change, what do I need to do up front in order to successfully prepare for a systems inspired change? Yeah, I think it already starts by being quite clear on what's the purpose of the organization. And I know purpose is a buzzword. The purpose is really truly referring to what's the why, what's the North Star, what are we after, what's the, the direction. Going beyond often in many commercial organizations, you have that profit. Profit is an indicator or a byproduct, but it's around adding value, creating value to a set of stakeholders. So being clear around that is is really important. And if you look at a, a, an organization of 1,000 people and may also be globally dispersed, it's quite a complex thing. So another tip I would give is get a, a microcosmos of your organization there to, to start talking about it. Because if you have a group of people, it could be uh, 10 or 15, the patterns of the system and the wisdom of the system is often also there. And it's really a, a, like a kaleidoscope. So, so start talking about it and then based on that evolves into where you want to go. And maybe the last point there is also allow for, I would say, local freedom. If you're clear on what you need to do, so this is what we need to achieve uh, together. Also allow people on the ground to determine how they do it. I can see that toolkits are being made, everything is prescribed. And if things go wrong, even more controls are put up. And it really stifles people and it takes out, uh, let's say, successful change. So these are three things that are coming up and it's broader. I don't know how it sounds to you, Kate. No, really, it, it lands because also what I'm thinking about is how we live in this VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. And I can imagine someone sitting down and having this perfect change plan, this map for the change. But then two seconds later, the whole environment has changed. Yeah. And so... How do we work with this emergent change that many of us are dealing with on a daily basis? Because it's quite different and the pace is very fast compared to, say, 50 years ago. 
Yeah, no, it's great you you put that up. The, the change is very, very fast. And the good news or the bad news is it will not change. It's slow. <laughs> That's what it will be in the future. So here, self-awareness of leaders, of people in the organizations are becoming really important because if you get in the stress, if you feel this sense of urgency, you become very reactive. You say, let's do this, let's do that. So the, the ability to slow down is really being compromised. It's, it's not very natural. And that's the invitation for leaders. Also, in a fast-changing world, where you need to be quick and agile, being able to slow down, to, to listen to all voices in the system, and all between brackets, of course. If you have 100,000 people, you can't consult every, everyone. But you have microcosmos. You, you, you can get data. And then see what's the most intelligent move we can make. In the Orsk language, what's the minimum viable edge we can uh, we can adopt? I think it's easy to talk about it in theory. To do is more difficult. But the good news is, the moment you make a change, you get immediately feedback. Okay, the system is being revealed. Oh, that's working. That's not working. And then you adjust. And that would also advocate for a more agile approach, step by step, minimal viable edges not crossing edge that's actually too big to take. That's interesting because I do think when we think of organisational change, we think of this big mountain that we have to get 10,000 people over. And so yeah. you're you're suggesting that we go for the minimal viable edge and cross lots of little hills as opposed to the mountain. Yeah, that's absolutely, that's a much more uh, a viable approach. And of course, it's not always possible. I, I can well see if you want to centralize some processes, in particular support functions processes, like uh, order to cash, or uh, if you want uh, people processes or IT services, there are a lot of support functions that basically have central processes and there are IT systems that are supporting that need to have that layer, but still allow for some degrees of freedom locally because then you really will be able to to get a fit for purpose performance in in a, in a certain niche of your ecosystem. So, what do you see happening when organisations try and push people over an edge that's too big? Yeah, now yeah, you know, in Orsk we call it they are getting in a realm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they are. <laughs> oh, um, they're getting numb. There's a lot happening. If you push them too hard, the people will be disengaged. They will be confused. They also will, maybe not even intentionally, but the performance will really go down. It may even be that um, that people um, leave the company. Yeah, I got a recently. Um, I, I worked with with someone in an organization that was taken over, and this organization used to be very purpose driven, and it was now taken on by another company that was much more focused on shareholder value and they that there was a real big focus on uh, on getting more uh, more profits in and getting the costs down and a much more sense of control for example hybrid working and here i'm talking from the netherlands it's quite 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 normal here the hybrid working was stopped so people need to be in the office four or five days a week and there were these small things like they had fruits and they had cookies and all these type of things. You may think, mm, but that was part of the culture. And then it was cut. And, and within a couple of months, this whole organization imploded. Couple of months. So much value was being destroyed. Wow. 
That's huge. Yeah. I'm noticing it a lot with my clients in the tech space right now. And I think there's been a lot of just forcing over edges and they're feeling very demotivated, disengaged and looking elsewhere. Yeah. And so it's almost like the, the change actually has the opposite effect sometimes. If you try and push it too fast, actually it, it causes people to leave and it actually decreases profits and efficiency. No, it's operational if you think about it. Yeah, yeah? it's not. And I think, and that's also what I love about the Systems Inspired Leadership and the ORSC approach is basically, can you unleash the energy is there? We have this magic phrase, so what's trying to happen? Where's the energy? Where, where do people have energy for? What is it that they want to do? You see your whole leadership style changes because it's not so much what I think is needed, but it's sensing, it's creating a context for people that they say, we need to go that way. Okay, that's where the energy is. Let's trust it. Let's check whether it's aligned with the purpose of the organization. If so, let's go see what's come out. Can we replicate it? And if it fails, it's okay, but we still have data then. That's not the way to do it. We may know now how to, uh, what's our next step? And so then I guess I wonder how as leaders do we balance being open to this emergence, this emergent change, and also managing the change? Because that has to be a dance and quite a delicate one. Yeah. Yeah, I think the word I think I would rather use how do you lead to change rather than manage mm. the change. Yeah. So uh. there's leadership required in terms of get, helping to create the better future that is there. There's some leading required. There's also leading required to create this context, to be able to listen. So how to do that as a leader? I, I've spoken about the word awareness before. In ORSC Systems Inspired Leadership, we talk a lot about meta skills. I think meta skills are really the bridge between your being and your doing. And for example, a meta skill of curiosity is so important, an antidote to so many things. The notion of deep democracy that every voice has wisdom. So for me, for a leader to be aware of that, to be aware of its, his or her role around that, and also know, I, I think I love those quotes around uh, be the change you want to be, or mm. how you are in the interior will be a reflection how the exterior looks like. So, so being aware of your own being, uh, your meta skills, the energy you bring, uh, uh, the awareness is really key. I think you made a really interesting distinction there between managing the change and leading the change. Yeah. Talk more about this uh, in terms of the difference between a manager and a leader, say. Now, the manager component is still much more from the control framework. So there's a plan and you, you check and you make sure everything is properly planned. And the leading is more creating uh, the space and, and giving the direction, yeah? So we also talk often talk uh, doing the right things, which is more the leadership components, uh, versus doing things right, which is more managing. And in a complex world, to like you said, if you have a really thought through a, a change plan with all the details, it will not work because it's getting outdated the moment you you put the last dot. Yeah, it's like companies who do five year plans now; they're becoming quite redundant because. They need five-month plans because of the pace of life. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and I, I still feel to be clear on your North Star, your purpose, your direction is really important. And that's not so much a product of one person thinking, but very much connecting to the third entity. What is this organization for? How does it want to serve? How does it serve the stakeholders? 
And as some people are better at connecting with this third entity, as some people have a bigger, uh, bigger skill for this. But if you come from not from your eye, but from the third entity, I think it will be much more powerful, and it will also be uh, such an easy enabler for people to get aligned. Yeah, so getting the noses in the right direction. That are, if people are in the front line, they don't need to think hey, what's the detailed uh, operating procedure here. No, this is where we are for. We are there to to help, for example. Uh, uh, elderly people to become more independent, so uh, and to more autonomous. So, if that's our purpose, how can I deploy it, or how can I create that here in the moment for this particular patient or person? So, would you say then the leader leads with the why, or from the why, and the manager leads from the what? Yeah, I think the the manager more from the how. Yeah. Ah, uh, <laughs> so, uh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Whereas the leader is open to. Lots of different ways of working. Yeah, I think it's more the why and the what. And you can see uh, if you the why is really far out. But if you uh, if you start making it a bit more concrete, it quickly becomes the what. So why and what are getting a bit more uh, in the same direction? Yeah. Right. Whereas the manager spends too much time, perhaps focused on the how, which probably is constantly changing. But let me make that very concrete. Yeah. So because I also see that often in organizations. As a leader or as a, as a management team or a leadership, you want to create plans, yeah? And then plans, you want them to create into action and then you get results. Yes. If things go wrong, you think, okay, I need to get better plans. So I need to get more information. And you see already you're going to burden the organization around that. Get me this data, get me that data. And if people, if you have a plan, they don't execute it well, you will say, let's create more detailed instructions yeah you need to do it this way you get the whole package and if they don't deliver well let's create a whole set of kpis and you see that's the natural reflexes and the end result is that there's so much control that it stifles the organization and it's i think there the the leading from the why slash what what you're referring to is much more powerful because Taking this example, I'm now working on a model from Stephen Bungay. Let's also give him the credits for it. Rather than being much more very detailed in your plan, be very clear what you want. What's the, the purpose? Uh, Bungay calls it, let's call the spice bill question. <laughs> what is it that you really, really want? Let's be very clear what we want, yeah? That's great. What is it that you really, really want? I love that. What an excellent question. That's it, yeah? And then in terms of, if, if you want people to be clear, ask them, what did you hear? What is it that you understand you need to do? I also love that with Bungay, how you implement things, how you do it. It's not through detailed instructions and a, a set of KPIs, but he calls it, there can also be intelligent disobedience. And that means sometimes you need to break the rule in order to get things done. And, and it's obviously a fine line, I understand. The reality on the ground is very different than you ever have imagined or could capture in, uh, in rules or procedures. So how can you be intelligently disobedient? Yep. You see, it's a whole different approach. It is. What I'm hearing is that the systems-inspired leader leans into the system to design the how in many ways. It's not them telling other people, this is how it's going to look, but actually the wisdom comes from the collective. Yeah. And it can also be the local collectives, yeah? So 
UPI, they have a big, big organization. But Katie, do you recognize this this whole reflex of organizations or leaders to get more control? Yeah, to to also urgently uh, push uh, big changes through. Do you recognize that in your practice? Yeah, and what I see more and more is quite short term thinking. Actually, it's almost as if we're very reactive when, say, the markets change. And uh, one of my clients is quite high up in a tech company, and that company is making short-term redundancies but in the long term they're going to actually have to hire more people which will cost them more money and so it's not interesting actually that that short-term reaction it's not a conscious response and that has an impact then on the system because he feels it in his teams um, or the leaders that lead teams that he holds and I think that that's not systems inspired <laughs> that's the opposite of systems inspired <laughs> I love your use of the word reactive there. We spoke about it before. That's very, certainly if there's a lot of pressure, there's this tendency to be reactive, be all human being. Yeah. Have to pause, have to take the four second rule, yeah? One breath. Yeah. Counting to 10, it's still an old wisdom that's still very valid. Now let's see. So what is it? If this were an opportunity, yeah? Yeah. So what would it be? Yeah? Can you also reframe the question? And then building on the collective wisdom, the voices of the system. And then slow can be conveyed far because you may break the patterns and you may do something where it's energy of people, where people get actually engaged and people you're becoming a, a magnet for people to work as well rather than an uh, imploding organization. Yeah. Well, I wonder because often we talk about how the bigger the organization or the system, the more embedded the patterns are. And... How do we as leaders slow down then in an organization that's very reactive and short term in its thinking, maybe firing people now or making redundancies now just so they can save money in the short term, but don't see the long term implications of that? How do we slow down if the system is so fast? Yeah, experience it a lot when working with clients uh, because they feel they are part of uh, of a bigger organization. And of course, the standard re response is, work with the top team and that's always true yeah so okay work with the top team help them to understand and their leadership will be very instrumental but not all of us will be able to do so i always hold make people where i say you're part of a big system so that's really a negative in the in the sense that you're part of it but there's also a positive given that everything is connected you're changed can also positively change the whole system. You can become an island of health. And I, I think it is important to, uh, in, the, in the circle of influence, etc., to be clear what is it that you can influence. But in particular, if there's a lot of pressure put on you, as a, for example, if you're here a, a European leadership team in a global organization, it, it's a lot of pressure put on you. How can you translate that such you do not pass on this pressure onto your staff. How can you allow a moment to hear on the ground, to hear their voices of the system? How can you give more degrees of freedom for them to execute the plans uh, in a way that makes sense for them? So that would be my invitation. I, I love the notion that if you, if you change as a subunit in a big organization, it will also have a ripple effect. I think the ripple effect is really powerful. And I think sometimes we come to systems work and we see, well, it's such a big system, what can I do? But we also see the interdependence of it. And we see, wow, 
but what I do matters and it has an impact. Yeah, and there's also something unpredictable that you don't know what precisely will it be. But if, if everyone were to make those changes, something will change. Yeah, like what's it, the butterfly that uh, creates a big storm and makes changes. Yeah, so I, I always uh, keep that to my clients and uh, l- let's work from, uh, from there and see what's possible. And if these instructions keep coming down from the top, yeah, you can make the noises, you can give the feedback, but if they don't act, it's beyond your control. So uh, you better start working with it then. Mm. And so I guess even if we're in a system which isn't systems inspired in the way it's approaching change, yeah. we can still bring that stance. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not easy, but you need to start somewhere. And that's also an invitation for employees, actually. We talk about systems inspired leadership, you know, we hold a systems inspired leadership, that leadership is a role of the system. And and, and leader, someone appointed in a leader role, has specific uh, functions there. But basically, it's to invite the employees also to step into their leadership and to collectively uh, uh, make the dance of where the system needs to go and how to uh, how to operationalize things. So what, what could systems-inspired organizational change look like? I guess some of us might come away thinking that it will be all rainbows and butterflies. And I imagine there's still challenges with the systems-inspired approach, but I guess what are some of the key benefits for us leaning into this way of navigating change? Now, for me, well, the first thing that comes up is that you're really clear on uh, on how you create or b- what's the added value you want to create as an organization. Who are my key stakeholders? And you're not blindly, it's only the customer, it's only the employees, or it's, mostly it's only the shareholder. And then by being part of that ecosystem, to really trust the intelligence of that living system. You know, that's one of our RSI, Relationship System Intelligence Principle. Systems are intelligent. And can we tap into it? Can you trust this living entity that it will move forward if you listen to it? So the ability to listen, to slow down, to tap the collective wisdom, then implement fast, not too big, fast, and then see what's the impact. Get the feedback and move it forward. I think it will create also employees that are, yeah, they feel engaged. Yes. They'll have a sense of belonging. Uh, there's this much more this focus on collaboration, on building the networks, the relationships, uh, the web of connections. And what I've often heard from systems-inspired leaders, that they talk about their own role as being less stressful. I don't need to do it all on my own. Not everything is resting on my shoulders. So these are some of the, the features I see, and I'm dreaming also, Katie. And that's so needed in the world. I see it everywhere. It is needed. I think we do need more of this because I hear a lot of people, they understand the theory, the idea that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, that one plus one equals three. But then I still see these leaders pulling everyone up the mountain and they're exhausted. The team are feeling unheard or not trusted in their intelligence and generative and creative ways. And it doesn't lead to a happy, healthy, productive system. Yeah, and as part of that as well, everyone tries to get their own job done very well. <laughs> that often makes you, you you get your silo done, but not contributing well to the whole. I see that so often that there's tensions between the organizations because they only look at their own patch. And imagine that sense of purpose we'd feel if we could see that that wider ripple effect that we're not just an individual contributor that actually what we do matters 
Yeah, therefore the purpose, so the North Star is really important, yeah. What's the positive magnet that we want to go to and, and start talking about it? And that is something that is happening, fortunately. Yeah, you see it, it's getting more and more. But still, I think we live in a society that ultimately is very uh, profit-driven, short-term profit-driven, the state of the world. It's, it's quite worrying. So in terms of, as opposed to being profit-driven, does it need to be relationship-driven? Oh, lovely. Yeah, I, in, in my thinking is more being clear on how you create value, a value creation-driven, and then indeed in relation to key stakeholders. There the relation part comes in. Key stakeholder is also future generations, or is also uh, uh, nature. It's also uh, uh, a small insects, yeah? So all these are part of, of relations or stakeholders that you need to take into account. In the seventh generation, yeah? So for every decision, think around what seven generations before me, and it could be people, but maybe also uh, living organisms would think about it, and seven generations after me. Wow. You'd like that. I think it's an old uh, Native American practice. What would then your decisions look like? That is such a fascinating way of broadening what value means, because I think we hear the word value and often there's one sense of that which is oh it means how much money we make as a company yes yes well, you see it's much more uh, clear operationalized yeah how to do it yeah well and it feels more holistic when we hold all these different stakeholders as you mentioned it is very holistic yeah and still you need to see how to balance things yeah so uh, it is still an art more than uh, than science yeah yeah thank you so much frank this has been a fascinating conversation there's so much here. I feel like there's another series on this. But thank you for opening the doorway in terms of how to approach organisational change from a systems-inspired lens. I think we need this. Yeah, we need it so much. And that's the good thing. It's also that is something what's trying to happen. You see all these collaborative uh, or in collective approaches coming up. So it is needed. But we need to be quick as well. I think we need that. We need that more and more, Frank. Well, thank you for bringing this to my attention and our listeners. I will speak to you very soon. Take care. Thank you for, um, as always, facilitating such a nice conversation, Katie. A huge thanks to Frank for that fascinating discussion. Here are my key takeaways. Seeing an organisation as a living system helps us to realise that all things are interconnected. A living system means it has a heart, it has intelligence, it has needs. When we approach organisational change in this way, we can work much more effectively with organisations and help them navigate change in a more holistic way. Being clear on the purpose of the organisation can help systems to navigate organisational change. It provides the system with a North Star or a Y that helps to ground the system through emergent change. Self-awareness is essential for leading in a systems-inspired way, as it enables us to become less reactive and more responsive to emergent change. Slowing down is essential as it helps us to stay aligned with our purpose and respond in a conscious and intentional way. Leading change is quite different from managing change. You have to be the change you want to be, by both considering not just what you're doing, but also how you're being as a leader. The energy that you bring is a key factor in the success of the change. For over 20 years, C3 
CRR Global has accompanied leaders, teams, and practitioners on their journey to build stronger relationships by focusing on the relationship itself, not only the individuals occupying it. This leads to a community of change makers around the world. Supported by a global network of faculty and partners, we connect, inspire, and equip change agents to shift systems one relationship at a time. CRR Global's unshakable belief is that relationship matters, from humanity to nature to the larger whole. For more information, please visit crrglobal.com.